Hey everybody, welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen and I got a real treat for you guys on the podcast today. We're just coming off of our Seven Figure Flipping Accelerator virtual event. So we did two days, Friday and Saturday of last weekend, where I brought 10 or I think it was 11 speakers to you on the virtual stage of ours, the Seven Figure Flipping virtual stage over Friday afternoon and Saturday morning. And just, they blew it out of the water. Combined, they were doing over 800 deals together, all of these speakers. Um, we talked about virtual wholesaling. We talked about managing cash flow. We talked about seller financing, hiring, partnerships, raising money, all kinds of stuff on this event. And if you missed it, you missed an incredible event. There's a lot of people that are talking about it in our private Facebook group, all over the internet, everywhere. They, I could not believe the actionable takeaways that were involved in this event. So on today's podcast, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you behind the scenes on one of the presentations. So I'm going to drop one of these presentations so you can see what the kind of caliber that our team is putting out there, the different seven-figure flipping members uh, are putting out there so you don't miss this next time. So um, we're going to do some more of these virtual events. We're going to do some different things where we, and oh, by the way, this was 100% free. And we had over 1,000 people signing up for this event and about 200 to 250 people showing up. So if you showed up, you're one of those rare few, the 25% of people that actually signed up, took action, showed up. So uh, let me give you like a quick round of applause. Good job, and now you're going out and taking action from it. So uh, I'm gonna show, share Andy McFarland's presentation. So he talked about seller financing. In today's market, seller financing is so important, those tools, and here's a couple of the items that he talked about of why you should think about seller financing. So these are the things of why you should pay attention to this presentation. He converts more deals, so 25% of his deals have some sort of terms, some sort of seller financing in them. You can wholesale terms deals, so you don't just have to buy them and flip them and keep them or hold them. You can also wholesale those deals and they're very uh, exciting for other flippers and landlords. It helps li with liquidity. So sometimes you might not need any money down or any money out of pocket to do these deals. They're flexible, which is great for right now. So you can be really flexible in the kind of terms and what you can give to a seller, especially during all this uh, coronavirus times, this, uh, uh, people losing their jobs, things like that. And then low interest debt a huge hedge on inflation, which is also coming right now down the road. We're going to see some inflation. So these low interest rates, having a hedge on inflation for some buy and hold properties that you can get. So if you guys don't know who Andy McFarland is in this community and you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you're living under a rock. But my mentor, uh, my coach, the guy who got me and my business up and running, absolutely amazing. So without further ado, we'll run the theme music and jump right into Andy's seller finance presentation on our seven figure flipping accelerator event. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity, and that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. All right, so guys, here's what we're gonna talk about today. Uh, I wanna to talk about seller financing. Um, let me tell you guys a little bit about my mindset for my presentation, about how I came into this, okay? Um, thinking about this today, I thought, what would I wanna tell myself, if I could go back in time and whisper to myself 17 years ago when I started real estate, what would I tell myself? So that was kind of my mindset going into this. So this presentation, you guys, we're going back into the time machine and I'm gonna go talk to my, myself. This is, uh, you know, if you wish you could tell yourself something, right? Uh, Andy circa 2003. This was me when I first started real estate. Some of you guys may have seen my treehouse video and, and that was what I looked like, right? So what would I go tell myself about seller financing then? Okay. So here's today's plan. 
One, why is seller financing important in 2020? Why is it gonna be important in 2020? Uh, different types of seller financing from like a technical side. Then I wanna show you guys some paperwork from a technical side because I know there's a lot of you guys out there that like, you wanna know how to do it, but some of you guys wanna know like specifically how to do stuff, right? So I'm gonna give you some of that. Um, and then how to get terms deals, which is like the human side, which is extremely important, okay? Um, you guys ready to do this? Should we go? Let's go. <laughs> All right, first of all, let's talk about why you should care about seller financing in 2020, okay? Number one, those of you that are marketing to find deals, you will convert more deals if you do seller financing. Currently, about 25% of our leads uh, have some form or our deals have some form of seller financing in them. So if we didn't have that seller financing, um, we wouldn't be converting these leads to deals. Bottom line, it just wouldn't happen. And the deals are better when you get the terms because you can wholesale those terms. So I'm primarily a wholesaler. Some of you guys might know that wholesale a lot of properties and we do, we do a lot of flips these days too. 80% of what we do is not wholesale, 20% uh, flips, but we'll, we'll sign up a deal. If we can get terms on it, we'll sign it up regardless of whether we're going to flip it or we're going to sell it to somebody else. Cause people love to buy terms deals. Okay. Um, it helps with liquidity. So Bill talked earlier about money, uh, raising money. And I love that. Um, I love that Christian Ariane talked about this too. I talked about how they need to charge themselves money, interest on their money. Like if they loan themselves the money, they got to charge themselves interest, right? I do that as well in my company, but this terms deals helps with the liquidity of your company. If you've got a capital stack, if you've got a pile of money, right? But you know how much you have because you're projecting forward, like Chris said, right? You're looking forward to see where your, where your cash flow is going and the projects you've got to fund in the future. Seller financing deals are phenomenal because you don't have to fund them all, right? If you're buying a house for $200,000 and you're getting financing for 190,000 of that, you don't have to use 200 grand, use, use 10 grand for that, right? Does that make sense? So it helps you with liquidity. And especially recently, um, it's loosened up a little bit now. You guys know this around the country, but, but a couple of months ago when the coronavirus hit in a big, really big way, and it was like shocking to everybody because it's still here in a big way, but it was shocking to everybody. Lenders tightened up, they pulled back. They decided they didn't want to lend money anymore, right? And that really hurts people because if our buyers, if you're a wholesaler, you're selling to flippers, if they can't buy, then you're not going to sell that property to them. And they don't always have all the cash to buy it, right? They need a lender to do that. And when their lenders pull back and tighten up, it limits their ability to buy. So it helps with the liquidity because you can offer terms deals to somebody, okay? Um, flexible. So when you work out these, especially longer term deals with sellers, which we're going to talk about in a second, um, you've got flexibility. You can go talk to another human being. Try talking to Wells Fargo or Chase Bank. They don't care. They don't care about your situation. They don't care about the coronavirus. What they care about is they've got the terms there and you're going to live by those terms. Now, if you've got terms with a, with a private individual, you can call them up and have a conversation, human to human and say, Hey, look, here's what's happened. You know, what's happening here. Let's work something out. Okay. So terms are extremely flexible. So that's why you should care. Uh, and also too, when you're taking some of these terms deals and, and borrowing them, um, and using those terms deals to have a property for long-term for like a rental property for you, having low interest debt on real estate, this cash flow, right? Which we've considered good debt, um, is a hedge against inflation. All this currency that's being printed, right? These $2.2 trillion, I think, of new currency they've created, that's gonna cause inflation at some point in the future. It's just a fact of matter. It's just gonna do it. And if you have low interest debt, especially from seller financing, um, that's gonna be better for you in the future. So that's why you should care about seller financing, okay? Um, some different types of seller financing. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people are scared about seller, a lot of people don't do seller financing because, um, or they're, they're scared of it because they just don't understand it, right? Um, so I want to demystify that for you guys right now. Those of you that are like newer, that have never done a terms deal, never done any sort of seller financing, and you don't, and you don't understand what's possible, that's what I'm going to show you right now. I want to show you what's possible, the different types from a broad category so you can see, uh, see what's possible out there, okay? So first of all, you just need to know what you're looking for. So if you're looking to do a flip and 
the people have a loan on the property. So I'm assuming you're talking to a private seller, okay? If they have a loan on that property, the thing, as soon as you, you know you wanna flip the property, as soon as you hear that they've got a loan, that should trigger you to say, there's a possibility that I could do a short-term seller finance on this, right? Short-term, what's called, we call it subject to, right? You're taking over the property uh, subject to the existing financing standing in place. So for example, that $200,000 example, you're buying a house for 200 grand and you're automatically going to cash because that's what people normally do. And you've typed through the course of conversation, you find out that they owe 190. Well, if they owe 190, you're going to pay them 200 cash. How much are they going to get at closing? I mean, less closing costs and stuff. They're going to get about $10,000, right? So that's an opportunity. Your mind should be triggered right now. Ooh, there's a possibility. What if I asked them, um, hey, would you mind if the bank had to wait a little bit to get their money? And then they'd say, well, well what are you talking about there? And then you can present the idea of saying, look, what if we go to closing and I get you your $10,000 and then the bank, that 190 that you owe, what if I went ahead and made those payments for a few months and then I paid them off uh, in a few months after I after I'd sold the property? Would, would you mind that, right? That's a conversation you could have. Now, it's the only conversation you're going to have if you recognize it's a possibility to do that in the first place, okay? So that is a possibility, short-term subject to, if you're looking at flipping it, if they have a loan. Now, if they don't have a loan, same type of a deal though. Only thing, question you wanna ask in your mind and ask questions to them around this is what are they planning on doing with the money? Now, if you're flipping this property, you're probably gonna own it for six months or less, right? So if they don't have a great use for the money, there's a possibility you could have a conversation with them saying, look, what if I gave you a little bit now and the rest I paid you, you know, a, a, a bigger lump sum at the end. If you don't plan on doing anything, like you just, what are you planning on doing with it in the next few months? And they say, well, what do you mean? It just starts a conversation. And they might um, lo loaning you that money at lower interest rates than Bill's going to charge you because you know Bill's going to charge you a lot more money, his art money. Um, but you could, you could use that, uh, that seller as your lender, right? If they don't have a great use for their money currently, right? So again, if you're going to do a flip, think in terms of what are they doing with the money or do they have a loan, okay? These are two things that you should be looking at all the time. It doesn't mean they're going to do it for you all the time. Like I said, 25% of the time we get it in our deals, but it means you should be looking at that possibility and at least asking the questions, right? Now we'll get to that a little later in the presentation, how you should do that. Um, hold. If you're planning on holding this property, Andy, I'm not a flipper. I don't flip things. Perfect. That's fine. If you want to hold it, you can hold a property. If they have an underlying financing, there's a potential that they would let you leave that financing in place for the life of the loan. However long they have left on it, 20 years, 25 years, whatever it is, they might do that. The question is going to be though, thinking to yourself and asking them kind of questions around this, do they need their credit? Are they planning on buying something else, right? Do they need this immediately in the next year or so? Do they have to have their credit? Um, and if they don't, it's a great possibility that you might be able to get them to leave that loan in place for the life of the loan. Now, I'm going to show you guys in a second the paperwork, how to deal with all this stuff. Because I know I can hear you guys saying like, okay, great. I understand that this is possible, Andy. Um, and I talked to the seller about it. And they're willing to do it, but I don't know how to write this up. I'm scared. So a confused mind says, no, I'm not going to do this. Okay? I'm going to show you guys that in just a second. Okay. Now, finally, if you're going to do a hold, if you're going to hold onto this property, they have no underlying mortgage. Um, this is like the best possible situation ever. Um, if you ask them what they're going to do with the money and, and they don't have a great answer for that and they don't have sophisticated investments, this could be a phenomenal possibility for you, especially if they've got a property that their depreciation, they've owned it for years, they bought it for nothing, now they're selling it for more and they're going to have a huge taxable gain coming. This is a phenomenal opportunity for you and for them to, um, to have a great win-win there. If they're just going to take that money, sell the property, take the money, pay taxes on it, and then invest it in some lower yield investment, man, you can create a much better situation for them via an installment sale. I don't have the time to talk about all that right now, but just suffice it to say, um, they could do something that would be phenomenal, right? Um, and then there's a hybrid. So the hybrid is like a combination of these. Because what if, you know, that $200,000 property you're going to buy, they owe $100,000 and you don't want to put $100,000 down on that property. Well, you could take over their first loan of $100,000. You could service that payment 
just take it subject to that existing financing. And then maybe you ask them to hold on to that $80,000 and $90,000 of their equity for nine, for six months or nine months, right? And they get their 10,000 not closing. So you could do anything and everything. So here's the thing with this guys. I want you guys to grasp this, right? Andy circa 2003, the sky's the limit. If you understand what's possible here, whatever you work out with them that meets their needs, works, right? It's, you're just looking for that win-win. So just don't be so narrow-minded. Recognize that you're just trying to create opportunities for both of you that's a win-win. Okay. Now, right now, you have been warned. These next slides coming up do not meet the, the presenter rules, okay? Uh, these are going to be busy. So maybe you want to screenshot these. So this is it. Um, if you're going to do, if you want to, you've negotiated with the seller and they're willing to leave their loan in place short-term so you can flip it. Remember this $200,000 purchase, $190,000, they're going to leave that in place. You could write this up. This is how I'd write. You can write it on a napkin. You can write it in the addendum. I can write it in. You can type it in whatever you want to do, but this is it. This is sample language. You don't have to do exactly this, but you could write exactly this. The purchase price to be balanced on an existing debt property plus $10,000, right? Cause that's what I'm talking about. Not to exceed a total purchase price, $200,000. Now this is just ensuring if you write it up like that, then, then if they say, well, you're getting, Andy, you said I was getting $10,000 at closing. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I thought you were, but the problem is the payback payoff came back and they actually owe 195, right? If you write it in here like this, then they're only getting $5,000 at closing because the purchase price can't exceed that because you're now you're taking over the 195. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, you can write in what the seller is going to receive at cash at closing. That might be important to them. And then also this bottom paragraph is important. Seller agrees to leave existing financing in place for X number of months or years. So in this case, it'd be six months and the buyers will be responsible for all existing financing and mortgage payments and will pay off the remaining balance within you know, six months if you put that there, right? So this would be a situation where you do a short term uh, subject to, okay? Now, what if it's gonna be a longer term? Life of the loan, similar language. You guys can see this is similar language. The only difference here is the bottom. It says seller agrees to leave existing financing in place for the life of the loan and buyer to be responsible for existing financing and all mortgage payments. So screenshot that. Again, I get this question all the time from people. Like, well, how would I do that? How do I write that up? Frankly, I get this, I used to get this question from my newer uh, sales reps. They'd be like, well, how do I write that up? How do I do that? And I would say, well, just, you know, make it up. This is, this is a, you know, this is what I, this example of what we give them to write up, okay? Um, now, if, they've, if this person has no existing debt and they're willing to do long-term financing for you, which is phenomenal, right? Here's a sample way you can write that up. Purchase price to be $200,000, buyer to put down a payment, down payment of $10,000, the seller to keep the remaining balance of 194, whatever you want, or years, 30 years, I mean, preferably, right? At whatever interest rate and monthly payments or no payments balloon. Now, don't say that you have to use this every time. I'm just saying it depends on what you negotiate, but this is the sample language. Don't be scared of the language. Write it up in an addendum, something similar to this, and then you'll figure out the actual paperwork later besides like writing it up, right? The title company or attorney can help you writing up the actual paperwork, the notes and mortgage or uh, trustee or whatever you're gonna use there in your state group, okay? So don't be scared, just recognize, Andy told me I could use these things, screenshot it, use something similar to this, write it up in the addendum, and now you've got a term still written up in your contract, okay? Um, I want to give you guys some extra credit here. There's some cool things that you can use um, that I've used before, like the first right of refusal. When you're working with private sellers, this is something you can get, which is super powerful, right? Especially if have, there's no underlying mortgage and you're working with them to, um, to, to, basically, to basically borrow their money, right? And if you're doing a long-term. So I've had uh, multiple different people that I've negotiated with that I'm borrowing their money for some of them 30 years at low interest rates. And I'll write these into, um, into the contract. Now, I always like to talk in terms of why it works for the seller. So for the seller, why would somebody want to give you a first order refusal? Why flip it around and say, uh, Mr. Seller, I'm working with you. You know me. I know you. We're friends here. Um, I, I like working with you. 
now, if sometime in the future, somebody calls me up and says, hey, uh, you're no longer working with this person, you're working with me, you need to send the payments there. I'd be a little bit shocked by that. I'd rather have some notice if that's gonna happen. Do you agree? And they're like, well, yeah, I'd never do that to you. I say, I understand that. But would you mind that if we just write up that if you ever, for whatever reason, we're gonna sell, you know, sell out of your position and you wanna receive payments from somebody else, would you mind just giving me an opportunity? Just let me know you're gonna do that. And I mean, they're reasonable people. You've had a conversation with them. That's why they're giving you those terms deal. They say, yeah, I'll do that. And then you write up something like this. Say, great, if the lender ever decides to sell the note, lender agrees to give the borrower first right of refusal to purchase the note, right? So this is something that's super powerful to use because what you don't want to do is work out some awesome terms deal and find out that seller passes away and their heirs decided to sell it for pennies on the dollar. And now you're paying somebody else and you didn't get that opportunity to purchase that note at a discount, right? So this can be huge. Hopefully you screenshot of that. Uh, and this is something else that's super huge too. Especially for stuff where you're, still, where you're getting true seller financing, there's no underlying mortgage, doing some a substitution of collateral. And by the way, I didn't mention this earlier, but anytime you're talking to a seller, you do not use these technical terms. I don't talk about seller financing subject to substitution of collateral, any of that stuff. I talk in terms that the seller understands, layman terms, right? So substitution of collateral basically allows me to take um, the note that I, the IOU that I owe them this money, right? I owe them this $190,000. If, if I want to sell that house that I owe the money on, as long as I'm putting their, their loan, their IOU against another house or another property that's worth at least as much or more than what I owe them, then they're agreeing to do that, right? And the way I talk to a seller about that is saying, look, um, we're working this out and you're getting a great interest rate and you're doing this because it makes a lot of sense for you, Mr. Seller. Uh, what if in the future something forced me that I had to potentially sell this property and then you'd get a phone call saying, hey, you're gonna get all your money in a couple of weeks. You might not like to do that because one, you like the income stream and the, and the interest rate. And two, you, know, you might have a bad tax situation with that. So uh, what if we could find a way to write something in here saying that, you know, if, if I was ever needed to sell this, that I could actually move this note or this little IOU to another property, as long as you agreed, and as long as that property was worth more than I owe you. Would that make sense to you? I mean, they're gonna say, yeah, that makes sense, right? And what you just negotiated there was a substitution of collateral, which allows you now to borrow their money long-term, super long-term, right? So that right there, guys, I've used that in a few different ways. I've got one guy's stuff that I've moved from two different properties now, right? I sold the one property because I didn't like it. I moved it to another property, then, that was a rental property, ended up fixing up that property, selling that property, moving it to another one. So I paid off these multiple properties, or I, I sold multiple properties, but I never paid them off. I'm still using his money because it was 30 year money at 4% interest with a super flexible seller, right? But he loves it. He's, he's super happy about it because uh, he had a tax problem and he wants to get this income, okay? All right, now here's, this is, this is the most important. This is the human side of stuff, guys. So I wanna talk to you guys about what makes these deals possible, okay? Uh, the most common mistake I see from people is this, they'll watch something on seller financing, they'll read a bunch of things on seller financing, they'll be like, oh yeah, I understand this. Andy said I could do this, Andy said I could do that. So what they're gonna do is, they're gonna go back and they're gonna get a lead and they're a voice from somebody, they're gonna call somebody, they're gonna get all the specifics about it, and they're gonna sit down in their, in their office and they're gonna sit there, concoct all these plans. I can't tell you guys how many times I've gotten phone calls from, from investors that are like, or emails from investors saying, here's what's going on, here's all the situation. Andy, what should I do? What should I negotiate? Don't try to come up with the terms for seller financing your own lab or your own, your own office, right? You need to involve the seller in that process. That's the most important part of this, right? It's, it's all about what the seller needs, right? Help enough other people get what they want and you'll get what you want. But don't go into that saying, hey, I'm going to force this type of a term on this. No, absolutely not. You need to involve them in the process. So in order to do that, rapport, guys, this is the most important thing. These seller financing deals, these terms deals are like all built on trust. And rapport is crucial with that, okay? And when rapport is built... Um, by listening. So when you're going into a conversation, this is crucial. Like Jay, or Bill was saying this earlier when he was talking to his private lenders, it's the same thing. Any type of a negotiation, frankly, in life, it's just people prefer you do this. 
go in there and listen to them. What are they trying to do? Ask them open-ended questions. Listen to what they're saying. Your rapport is built by listening. When you ask someone a question and they're talking to you, they, they are, they're giving you information. You're telling you about them and you're telling you what's important to them. And also um, they're, they're in rapport with you, right? Because whoever is talking in that situation is connecting. Think about it. When you, you could sit down and have a conversation with somebody for half an hour, if you just ask them a bunch of open-ended questions and let them talk to you and you, and you show some active listening, which we'll talk about in a second, and, and you, they, you never tell them anything about you, at the end of that 30 minutes, they're going to say, wow, I feel better. That guy's awesome. I really love that guy. And he's told you everything about him. He knows nothing about you. Because when he was talking, he was connecting. So remember that. People forget this, right? If you want terms deals, what makes this possible? The flux capacitor here is this, being in rapport and listening to somebody or else you're not gonna get terms deals, I promise you. 90-10 um, rule. When you're talking to somebody, when you're doing this, after they get done speaking, please do not jump right in and start talking. Give it some space. If you'll pause, they'll fill in the gaps. <laughs> they'll keep talking, they'll clarify. Give them some space. Give it a couple of seconds. And I know it's hard. It feels like an eternity right there, doesn't it? But they'll clarify if you do that. So give them space. Remember that. 90-10 rule. 90% of them talking, 10% you if you can. Uh, and then active listening. So let's talk about what active listening is. Actually, before that, I I've, got, I've got some more slides on active listening, which is extremely important because that's what you're doing here, right? Um, but there's something. A lot of times people are, uh, they're, they're scared of like, like some objection that's going to come up. There's, there's so many different objections that can come up with seller financing, right? You guys are just, you know, thinking like, oh, I can't talk to a seller about that. I don't know what them to say. And they're going to, they're going to have a problem with this or that. And I don't understand how to, I don't know how to talk to them about it, Okay. This is the magic phrase to anything anybody says that gives you time to step back and think about your response no matter what. Okay. This is the magic question. What makes you say that? So think about it, guys. Any type of conversation doesn't have to be seller financing. But if somebody says something, like if they're mad at you, like you dirty investors, you're all the same. You just go into these houses and you try to, you know, beat people up and buy these houses at dirty prices. And, and you know, you're all the same. I, I hate you guys. Get out of my house. What would you say to that? You could always say this. What makes you say that? Now, what's, gonna, what's that going to do? It's going to have them recognize that you're listening. They're going to clarify. They're going to feel, well, here's why. And they're going to have to ask clarifying questions, right? And then you could always say, what makes you say that? Now, that... Magic question I got from this phenomenal book, exactly what to say. Highly recommend it. He's got about 20 phrases that are phenomenal that you can use if you're trying to do what we're talking about here. Build rapport, listen to somebody, and, um, and know how to do that and what to say, kind of a good word tracks. Pick up that book, exactly what to say, okay? Um, overall, you're trying to seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. If you do this, especially when negotiating real estate, and you're trying to get terms, you will get terms far away more than you ever would if you were just try to go in there and say, hey, I came up with seller financing. Here's what I think you're going to like. And you kind of tell them about it. They're going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Not interested in that, right? Because you didn't involve them in the process and you didn't seek to understand them first. You can understand. So let's talk about active listening, okay? Um, here's what this looks like. You ask them a question. They start talking to you. I have no clue what they're going to say, by the way. But when I'm listening, actually listening to what they say, then I'm going to restate back to them when it's my turn to talk, right? That 10% time is my turn to talk. Instead of saying something that is important to me, right? Relevant to me. Oh, hey, I want to talk about me. I just what you need, right? I'm going to say, Mr. Seller, what I heard you say there was this. Did I understand you? Did I miss you? Did I miss something there? And they'll say, no, that's right. Or they'll be like, no, actually, yeah. And they'll, they'll, they'll ask, you know, they'll clarify what they're saying. Like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So what I heard you say was this. And they'll say, yeah. 
No, say, did I miss anything? No. After I've understood everything they're trying to do with the transaction, understand what's going on, who the players are, who the decision makers are, what they're going to do with the money, what they owe, and all these things, I restate back to them. So I understand you're trying to do this, 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 and this by this time frame and get this much money, do these things, all this stuff. Is that right? I have not made them any offer. All I've done is ask questions and listen and restate back to them. And once they say, yeah, that's exactly right, Andy. And I'll say, well, did I miss anything? No, you didn't miss anything. You fully understand. Okay. Now at that point, they understood. They know they're understood. I understand what they're trying to do. I've showed that I care about them. I'm going to report them because I listen to them. Now I can say, hey, what if I could find a way? And I say this in non-technical terms. I talk about layman's terms. Two, and then I'll fill in the blank with whatever we're trying to do there. If it's a subject to situation, what if I could find a way, you know, to pay your payments for a few months while we do the repairs, right? Do you mind if the bank has to wait to get their money? That kind of a thing, right? At that point, they're more likely to say yes, right? If they fail understood, you know what they're trying to do and you state it that way. Now, once they do that and they say, oh yeah, I didn't know we could do that. That's a possibility. Yeah, that would actually meet all my needs. Here's a good closing statement for you guys too. Would you trust me to help you with that? Mr. Seller, I understood you correctly. This and this says, yes. Now, what if we could find a way to do this? Wow, that would totally meet my needs. Mr. Seller, if we could find a way to do that, it sounds like we can't. Would you trust me to do that for you? Well, yeah, I don't see why not. Perfect. And now you go to those addendums and write up exactly what you said, right? What I showed you guys earlier, right? So that's how you do it. Now, but remember this, this is extremely important, guys. I tell my reps this all the time. <laughs> After I was listening to some of my reps, I, I, they were, I record their appointments and I would listen to their stuff and I'd see them coming in trying to get seller financing. They'd come in the first five minutes, they'd start talking about seller financing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is the end of the transaction. This is the very end once you understand them. You've already talked about price and you've done all these other negotiations. Now the seller financing is that bacon on top. Now the seller financing is like, hey, well, what if we could find a way to, boom, that's the bacon on top. So remember that don't lead with seller financing. You lead with listening. You lead with figuring out what their needs are. And then you sprinkle this on top. You'll be a lot more successful if you do that. And by the way, you're not going to have to give up so much of a price or terms. People say, oh, it's price or terms. Well, yeah, I mean, that house I could pay 200 grand cash for. That's a good cash price. Well, I would pay more for terms. Well, so would I, but I don't want to have to. So if, I make, if I knew we're at a $200,000 price, now I understand them fully. And I'm going to negotiate and get some terms in there. Now at that point, at the very end, I've got the cheap price. We've already agreed on that price. Now I'm going to sprinkle the terms on, right? Now I'm going to see if I can get the 200 grand at a little better terms. I'm not going to give them 210. I want to give them that of the better terms, right? It's all negotiable. So remember, it's the bacon on top. All right. So I want to give you guys a few recent real world examples. Uh, property went and met with some sellers. They were behind on payments and stuff. They owed $150,000. Um, I couldn't pay them a whole lot more, but they had uh, cars repossessed and it was just a mess, right? And they needed, Christmas was coming up and they just needed, they needed help there. Um, so I went in there, negotiated, gave him a little bit of cash up front for Christmas, paid up all of his, um, his, back, his back payments that he owed because he was getting foreclosed on and I allowed him to live in the house. Because why? I listened to him. I said, they needed to get their car out of repo. <laughs> They needed to pay for some Christmas. They need a little cash in their pocket and they needed about six months worth of breathing room and be able to live in this property. So I, I said, well, what if we could find a way to get you some money for Christmas, get your car or being pounds so you could actually go work. Uh, we can let you live here for the next six months. Would that help you? Absolutely. Now at that point, I got the deal for, uh, basically what I worked out there was the 150,000 he owed, took that over and uh, servicing payments on that, gave him his, his equity up front, which wasn't a ton, took care of the things he needed to. And now I've got that property um, subject to, it's actually I got it for the life of the loan, but you know, I could use it for the short term if I wanted to as well. Totally helped him out and he didn't care. Um, that was a real world situation. Uh, creative situation that I had with somebody, a creative hybrid. Uh, I went into somebody that just needed a, they didn't want to sell their house. I learned that they didn't want to sell their house. They just want a loan. 
So I said, I'll give you a loan. And they were super shocked by that. And I, I didn't go into that situation and say, hey, I'm going to give them a loan. I just went in the situation saying like, hey, I just want to listen to these people, finding out that they really just need a loan. They're in foreclosure. And they're super low loan to value. So what I ended up working out saying, look, I'll give you a loan. Your payment will be as much or less than you're currently paying. Um, and all I want from that is, if you're ever going to sell this house in the future, would you mind giving me an opportunity to buy it? And they were like, what's the catch? I'm like, that's it. I will get you out of foreclosure. I will loan you the money. You can pay me every month. It's less than you're currently paying. And if you're ever going to sell this house, I'd like an opportunity to buy it. And they said, absolutely. We're going to do that, right? So what did I work out with them? First right of refusal. Because I know that house is going to be sold to an investor at some point, And I want to be first in line to do it. And frankly, it was the right thing to do to help those people out at that time. And I could do it. So I did. So that was a good situation. Um, Long-term seller finance. So I had a lady that was just, I had a property she'd owned for years. Her, her family was living there. They weren't paying her rent. Um, situation we've all seen. Um, she was going to sell this house, pay a huge gain, take that money, invest it in some annuities at like two and a half percent. And I said, well, what if we could find a way, if you're just going to invest it, I said, what if we could find a way to get you a better interest rate and not have to pay as many taxes? Would you write, you know, what do you think about that? She said, great. So what I negotiated with her was long-term 30 year seller financing at 4% interest um, with just, just payments against that house, right? And I actually negotiated a no money down deal because I listened to her enough to know she just, she didn't need the money. She just wanted to have the return on the money and they got true long-term seller financing with her, with Gay. Um, and then another situation too that you can, you can look at. Uh, we had a person, that, uh, one of our sales reps negotiated a property, uh, $880,000 cash purchase price, which is, you know, is a decent price for that. But he went back and renegotiated um, and said, renegotiated lower price 175 but which was fine the 5000 was good but the best part of the renegotiation was he got uh that 100, $170,000 underlying loan on that property he got them to leave that in place for 9 months so even better than the $5000 reduction was then agreeing to leave their $170,000 loan in place for 9 months why because now i can wholesale that deal to somebody that wants to flip it with 9 months worth of financing built in at like 4% and it makes it so much more um you know their hard money costs are going to be a lot less so they can pay me more for the property so him doing that renegotiation saved our bacon, right? Um, right now, guys, I'm looking at the clock and recognizing that uh, I'm about done here. So I um, want to tell you guys, thanks for listening. Or tell myself, Andy, 2003, I got to go back now. I'm out of town. Thanks for listening. So now go create some terms deals, okay? All right. How about that? I know that you guys got a ton of value from that. There's some major actionable takeaway items from this presentation that you can go use right now and take inside of your wholesaling flipping business. Even if you're a landlord, even if you're an apartment investor, like whoever you are, there's actionable items in there. Don't forget about seller financing. So many people talk about it. Don't use it. Uh, it's very, very powerful tool and you don't have to be an expert to figure it out. And you don't have to be doing hundreds of deals to start learning this. This is something that you could start your business on. You can build it from the start based on terms, seller financing, things like that. It's just all about understanding it. So I'll give you guys a challenge. Jump inside of our Facebook group. Start asking some questions. The Seven Figure House Swimming and Wholesaling Group. Ask some questions about seller financing. If anything in there didn't make sense or you want more clarification, ask. There's a bunch of people that attended our virtual event that are in there, that have the notes, that understand it, and, um, and can help you with that stuff. So, all right. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, please, if you like what we're doing, if you, I mean, this is, this is all free content. Uh, we don't have sponsors. We don't have any of that stuff right now. So please like the, um, like this uh, page, like our podcast, share it, uh, leave us a rating and review, um, and take a screenshot of the podcast, 
share it on your Facebook page, tag us, and let other people know um, what we're doing. And that's huge for us here at Seven Figure Flipping and huge for me. If you like what we're doing, please rate, review the podcast, share it with your friends. I'll see you next time on the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. Bye. Hey, it's Bill again, and I want to personally invite you to our biggest event of the year, Flip Hacking Live. If you could copy the exact deal sources, marketing strategies, negotiation tactics, and business systems of the most successful house flippers and wholesalers in the nation, how would that change your business? Flip Hacking Live is a three-day event that we do just once per year, and it's happening October 15th through the 17th in Orlando, Florida. We bring in the nation's top wholesalers and house flippers to walk you through everything they're doing how they're marketing directly to sellers, how they're picking up discounted off-market properties, how they're doubling their close ratio with the right negotiation tactics, how they're raising millions of dollars in private money, the things they're doing that other investors aren't doing, all of it. These are the guys and gals who are actively doing deals at a high volume in today's market all across the country. You get their full attention for three days. They have agreed to hold nothing back and you'll be right there with them so you can ask questions and get clarification on anything that you need. This is your chance to hack the nation's top flippers and wholesalers and ethically steal their exact strategies and systems. All you have to do is take notes, ask questions, and apply what you learn. But first, you need to get a ticket. We've sold out every year and ticket prices go up every few months. So go to fliphackinglive.com right now and get your tickets today. Fliphackinglive.com, October 15th through the 17th in Orlando, Florida. This is an event that you cannot afford to miss.